Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Is it concerning that the suit has reputation defender on speed dial? <laughs> Thought I'd ask. It is a legitimate question. I. I guess he's on the phone the other day, and he's talking about greatest Indy 500 moments, and Bullers the dog got up and left. (laughs) (laughs) And the dog's as loyal as loyal gets, and even he couldn't take it anymore. All right. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, best in the business. Not only that, they have fabulous pre-owned inventory that has the Sunbury Motors guarantee. From sales to service, they take care of it all. That's why they have so many repeat customers. They're just the best in the business. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Online at sunburymotors.com. Our thanks to Jay Wright. The Hall of Famer, head basketball coach of two-time national champion Villanova. Three with Raleigh, with Raleigh did. But two with Jay as the head coach. And we appreciate him taking the time to be with us in the previous half hour. If you missed it, you can check it out on the Steve Jones Show podcast. Neil Kulong in a few moments for first. Our play-by-play call of the day. Six overtime games in the NHL. This one ended by Brad Marchand of the Bruins. Krejci keeps the puck alive in the Washington zone. Grizzlick slides it across. Score! Marshan wins it. 39 seconds into overtime. The Bruins have tied the series at one game apiece. Yep. And Kenny Albert with the call on NBC. By the way, um, Stanford bringing back 11 sports. Guess what? That means wrestling's coming back. Shane Griffith won the national championship. Instead of wearing Stanford on, they all wore black jerseys. Well, guess what? Back. And they're not the only ones with reversals. Dartmouth, Bowling Green, William & Mary have reversed cutting programs. How about that? All right, let's bring in the incomparable. (laughs) The suit perks up right away. What? No. Uh, The incomparable, Neil Kulong. Sir, welcome. I I will absolutely do that, and I'm sure they'll get a big kick out of that because they... I'm going to let you believe it. How's that? We'll we'll stick with that. We won't bring in the outsiders here. We don't need to know. We don't need them to know anything else. And we do emphasize, quote them. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Steelers have gone through a little uh, mini camp here with the rookies and the evaluation afterward is they're going to the Super Bowl. Would that be correct in terms of how people now look at this? 
offer for the Steelers, yes. There are, I think, about 28 other fan bases that feel about the same way. Um, other ones feel that it's not this year, it's next year. They're, they're building up to that. So definitely optimism reigns supreme after a rookie minicamp. There's nothing that uh, gets people more fired up than football and shorts. I'm not really sure uh, why that, that equation is, is, is so bettable every single year, but it definitely is. I mean, there, there was a point that um, I forget who it was, but a, a beat writer had written something to the effect of how he swore he was never again going to be, you know, sucked in by the performance of a minicamp. Uh, but Dre Archer's career didn't do it for him, so he wasn't going to do it again until he saw Najee Harris. <laughs> it's like, okay, right. um, <laughs> this is really the same thing. I mean, he's not Dre Archer. I'm, I'm no. confident that he'll surpass Dre Archer's career yardage totals pretty quickly in his own career. But I mean, Neil, uh, Neil we, we don't know anything yet. Neil, you're on the verge of breaking D- Dre Archer's. <laughs> Right. I'm, I'm not far off. One of these years, I'm going to do it. I'll tell you what. Well, so, by and large, we we saw good performances from players that uh, we would expect, uh, considering the film that we saw of them in college. Um, get them in pads, get them up against NFL competition and the, the heat of training camp, and let's see what you have. But uh, it, not a bad start. Nobody got hurt. You enjoy that. It's you know they they had I, I think anyway. Correct me if I'm wrong. But pretty much perfect attendance. Yeah. Um, I think that was more of a topic heading into to this camp than it probably has been in a while. So the fact they got that and they got guys out on the field, that was obviously a big problem last year. You have to feel like they can coach again and maybe we can get back to, to football the way that we knew it before uh, the, the pandemic. They can get guys ready, conditioned, and, and set to go. All right, so let's start with Harris, then we'll get to Frymuth, then I want to get to Kendrick Green. Uh, obviously, Harris comes in, great rep, fabulous career at Alabama. What did impress some people? Now, he was impressed by the media contingent. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> he just thought they were fans, boosters, whatever he thought it was. But what was the... Boosters. I call them boosters. <laughs> hey, the boosters are here. I don't think Stan Saverin and Ed Bouchette are going, I don't know, we're not boosters. Uh, but... When you look at you know what he was able to at least do, what did he impress people with? I think it, it's a combination of a lot of things. He really has a, a, a kind of media savvy and honestness that, that that's really going to uh, endear him to the fans and to the media as well. I mean, people are going to be all over him all the time now. I'm sure the PR department's already <laughs> trying to figure out how to get him away from the limelight as much as possible. But uh, he's he's a star. He's got the personality. He's got the charisma. Uh, and you, you watch his game, um, the way that the Steelers are, are uh, allegedly setting him up, they're going to move him all around. They're not going to wait uh, a year kind of like they, they did with Le'Veon Bell. They, they want him out uh, in the slot early. They want to utilize him as, as a, a true three-down running back in today's game, which means he has to catch a lot of passes. Uh, to do that, he's got to get a lot of targets, and you got to be all over the field to do that. And I think they, they have a, a player who has the ability uh, to, to make some you know heads turn in that sort of a role. He's the right guy for that, but really what it kind of suggests to me is you can get ready for a 300-plus touch season, um, which I don't know if... um, I don't think a Mike Tomlin rookie running back has ever even sniffed that, Uh, but if there was one that was drafted to do it uh, in in an era in which that was fairly conceivable to do, it it would definitely be him. So uh, you, you, you get from the beginning that the sense of it all uh, they saw drafting him as taking a player who's going to be a significant portion of their offense next season. 
where he gets the ball, I think, you know, is a matter of, of uh, debate and conjecture. Uh, are they going to run? Are they going to run power more often than they did? Are they going to try to implement more outside zone? Uh, something they really couldn't do last year. Those are the real strategic decisions. I think that, that um, we're not going to know probably until at, at the earliest late September to, to really get a sense of what they're trying to do. But the fact that they've, they've turned over their offensive line coach, their offensive coordinator, many of their offensive linemen, um, starters and reserves, and brought in a new running back along with a group that, that you know, to be honest, can't carry the guy's jock, I think it's, it's pretty safe to say that they're looking to do a lot of different things compared to what they've done in the past. And that's obviously a very good thing because they were pretty bad at it last year and that was a significant problem, especially down the stretch. So it, it's, the, I think everything is lining up the way that you would want it to if you were the Steelers. You've got a, a good personality. You can win over the media. He's going to get the ball a lot. I think he's going to be successful because he's a good player. Um, you, you've got a, a budding star in, in the city of Pittsburgh, and I think that's exactly what they thought they were going to get when they drafted him. Yeah. Uh, so now let's get to Pat Frymuth. Uh, it, look, players that have longevity and have great careers can spoil fan bases, and then you find out after the guy leaves – like, wow, I thought he was really terrific when he was here, but, man, we miss him, Heath Miller. So that obviously is a lot to put on the shoulders of a rookie, but if Pat Fryermuth, at least in some ways, gives some people a feeling that, hey, look, we're starting to straighten out the tight end situation? I think the investment is what's important here. Um, we oftentimes throw out the highest possible accolade as quickly as we can. I, I don't think you replace Earl Heath Miller right. with a guy in the second round. I, the, the level of player that he turned into um, and really for, for Heath it came at a time in which the, the, the tight end flexing out into the slot running much more vertical routes basically being a power forward on grass uh, that wasn't his game. He was a legitimate old school three down tight end and he was really good in every phase if you want some some entertaining film and you're a total dork like me go back and watch Heath Miller play in 2012 uh, when when he was at his peak before he got hurt at, at the tail end of that season he played the best football of his career hands down he was a monster on, on everything he did he caught the ball uh, he could turn and run he was still athletic and agile enough to be able to do that but he was a beast blocking and Todd Haley came in and really implemented a lot more of, of outside zone yeah. um, using uh, uh, Heath off the edge as a lead blocker and he was right. an animal I mm -hmm. mean my god we, Pittsburgh never saw a tight end play that well in a season in my opinion overall uh, he was a great all around player he was a pro bowler that year and you can see why he did everything well um, I don't think that Fryermuth is going to come in and do that in day one that isn't to say that they don't have the ability to develop a player to be well-rounded. And I think that's, that's their plan for him. Cause you definitely see me, he's got the physical tools it's there for it. And I'm watching his, his film from last year. You got to keep in mind. I mean, he, he was hurt. Um, he didn't get to play the full season. It was a weird season. So it's like, well, how much you put into the, how much stock you want to put into his film? I don't know what you know, though. It, he's a strong player. He's athletic. Uh, he has a lot of the same kinds of things as most rookie three down type tight ends. Uh, would have going into a, a, a pro season. I've said this before, but you know he and the he and the tackling sled are going to be best friends. Get yeah. get him some work, 
get his balance down, get his footwork in particular down, you can get a solid player. And I'll, I'll tell you this, it's not going to take him long to be a better all-around player than Eric Ebron is. So I, I think by week 10, he's probably reached that mark, uh, just if he stays healthy. I don't think he's going to be a, a 45-catch rookie. Um, a lot of people are, are kind of putting that as his, his low watermark. I'm, I, that might be a, a tad excessive for the kind of player that, he, that we can expect him to be right away. But I, I don't think it's impossible to think over the course of his rookie contract, he develops into a very solid all-around player. And that, that's what they need. It, it just You don't even have to look very far to see how much of a benefit it would have been to have one. They wanted Vance McDonald to be kind of like that last year, and they right. didn't get it from them at all. Um, if, if they had a reasonable all-around tight end in, in any of the last three seasons – uh, they would have been a remarkably better team, in my opinion. They would have had a better offense overall because they can do more. He's not going to be there to be a primary threat type of guy any more than the bulk of Heath Miller's career was. Um, I don't think Miller eclipsed 100 targets more than maybe twice in his career. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't get the ball a ton. He got it a, a good amount, but not mm-hmm. a ton. I don't think a, a tight end uh, who isn't um, – Kyle Pitts, that level of, of dude. I, I don't think you're going to get 140 targets to a tight end in most offenses. Uh, but Fryermuth, for somebody that, that could do 75 to 100, somewhere in there, and be able to lead block, be able to to guide and, and direct traffic on stretch runs to the outside with his frame, with his quickness, getting in front of guys, bowling guys over, that's a huge benefit to an offense. It's not going to show up on a stat sheet, but those who know, you're going to watch and you're going to see where it's coming from. I would say, if anything, and this doesn't necessarily sound the best, but a, a better pass-catching version of Matt Spath would be a, 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 mm-hmm. an excellent compliment for a player like Fryermuth, and I think he can be that. Uh, Spath turned into one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. Yep. It took him a little while, and I think Fryermuth has, has a, a bigger upside than Spath did. But if, if the Steelers could get a player like that out of this draft, that's phenomenal for what you really wanted to do. And we'll, we'll get to Kendrick Green as well, like you said. But if those are your first two picks, you've got a good strategy in place, in my opinion. And I, I think he can definitely rise to that. But let's just not call him Heath Miller. Let's not call him Rob Gronkowski either. But let's not call him Heath Miller. Let him be the type of player that he is, not the, the guy that came previously as a franchise legend and the game doesn't play the way that he played it back then anyway. Well, I always, I always say about players, um, I never, you do draw a comparison just to give you an idea what they can be, but you always tell them, hey, look, you be the, be the first Pat Fryer with you, don't have to be the next, whatever. Um, now let's get to Kendrick Green. He has inside versatility, center, both guard positions. So what was the initial read on him? I mean, of all things, of course, let's talk about Lyman working out in shorts. <laughs> it's probably the toughest with him. If anything, the biggest story that he got was the fact he was wearing number 53. Um, right. That that might be fairly the, the biggest story. But um, I, I think technically um, you see good things with him. He's, he's a savvy player. He's been around. He's taken a lot of reps uh, along the offensive line. I don't think that center was necessarily his best position in college. And I say that simply because he had a lot more experience at guard. He can play center. I mean, it, it, there's not a, a huge amount of difference physically between a guard and a center. There can be, and I'm not saying that every player is the same. There's a you know pretty significant difference between uh, Matt Filer in, in 2020 and Quentin Nelson. I, I see that. But as far as what they're doing, technique, things of that nature, 
there's a lot of, of similarities between a guard and a center. A center it needs to understand what's in front of, of the offensive line more so than the guard does because he's the one calling things out. There's obviously a, a, a split second of difference snapping the ball and moving the direction you need to go to. But guards, in turn, are a lot more mobile. They're, they're moving a lot more spaces. They, they tend to, to be more athletic um, and longer. They're, they're more physically fit uh, players along the offensive line. They really, they're mostly interchangeable. And I think if he has the ability to play center, I think he could play guard. And with that, um, you, you bring out the, the, the positive attributes of him. Uh, you look at him like a guard. He's powerful. He's strong. Uh, he can get inside people. He's nasty. He likes to finish. Uh, he'll put guys on their back. He plays the game the way that I think Steelers fans over the generations would really come to appreciate. He's a pulling guy. He's nasty. There's a little bit of Chris Kimoy optimism mm-hmm. for, for the old school Steelers fans here. He, he'll, he'll get out on the move and he'll level guys. He doesn't quite have the size that Kimoyati did, but he's quick out of his stance. I, I can see why they, they want him to play center. I think he's going to be a center. Uh, I can see him being successful. I'm just saying, uh, overall, it's nice to have the door open for, especially for a team that really prides, uh, it, itself in being versatile with its offensive linemen. Uh, it, it's nice to be able to have uh, possibly the door open for for another center option next season if they want to move from the guard because they're going to need to have conversations about the guard position next year just like they did about center. So uh, Green fulfills a need for now. I think it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm most excited to watch him come training camp. I want to see uh, the type of player he's going to be. Um, but I, I'm I'm encouraged by him. I think he could end up being the best pick of, of the Steelers for a, a value perspective. He could be a, a, a very strong offensive lineman for a long time. Um, it, let's see how they coach him. Let's see how they coach all of them. I mean, it, it's it's a completely different unit now. Um, it'll it'll be good. I, I I'm encouraged by what what we can see of him on film. Um, we're not getting anything from him in rookie minicamp except for the fact that he's now wearing more Keith Pouncey's number, which We'll, we'll find out how that turns out come week one. Um, they wear whatever in, in minicamp. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But it, 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 let's see what type of player he is in the same vein of don't be the next Morkey's Pouncey, be the first Kendrick Green here in the Steelers. And I think that's good enough for them to, to have pulled away a, a, a pretty good starting player in the third round. I know that you were locked in and riveted last Wednesday night to the schedule reveal. Uh Peter King, by the way, had a great note about that. Between NFL Network and ESPN, they combined to have a minimum of 33 reporters commenting on it. <laughs> Isn't that what he said? He lost track at 33. He lost track at 33. <laughs> I stopped looking. This is even more than I thought it was. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. It, it's, uh, what does it, yeah, tell, it, what does it, it tell you about the league that people think about it? I mean, I realize you got 24 hours a day to look at stuff. So, I mean, I realize that. Uh, so, in 24 hours a day, you got to fill it with something. So, let's let's take a gimme here. <laughs> I think in, in, in most years, most normal years, you've got the early rounds of NBA and NHL playoffs. You have no football post-draft. You're starting to kind of withdraw a little bit from the fact that the draft is over. A couple weeks have gone by. Baseball isn't... If baseball is exciting, it's not until October. So, I think people are just bored. I think it's really just kind of a reaction to news that's out there. Let's make it fun. This is interesting. Let's break this down. And 
uh, let, let's rage to, to you know the, the farthest extent of our being because the Steelers are playing on the road again for the seventh straight year. Yeah, <laughs> so I think it's almost kind of funny. It's almost like a troll from the league now. <laughs> but uh, it might have been more of an issue a little while ago. But um, the the teams that have uh, professional baseball teams in their their cities, certainly ones that share venues and or uh, parking facilities, oftentimes employees. Um, you run into these things, and it's not so much of a surprise. And I don't think that it's anything the Steelers aren't at least kind of given their okay with. I mean, there comes a point where it's like, hey, you guys, you know, you, the, the week one opener. I, I would disagree a little bit with what Peter King said about this in his column. It, it's it's not that it's not a big deal. You can't say that it's not a big deal. Week one is a huge deal. Okay, the yeah. fact that that game is never at Heinz Field anymore. I know. You have to, there comes a point that you kind of need to explain that. It, it's it's one or the other, right? I mean, it, it's roughly the same weekend every year, but it's one or the other. Why why did the coin land on head seven consecutive times? Uh, you know, it's not I, impossible, but there needs some explanation there. Well, to be honest with you, this is something I brought up about the Big Ten schedule with Penn State basketball. Happens over and over again, where Penn State opens the conference season on the road on a weekend, and then, they, then they'll play... I think they've opened uh, on the road, what, four consecutive years now. And, you know, and not only that, they finally get their first home game during the middle of the week where they don't draw as well. And I think 10 of the last 12 years, I believe the first game in January has been away. But, <laughs> okay. He's sitting back going, yeah, it's, okay, it's, does anybody in the office know this? Yeah, it's kind of like there's a lot that goes into it, and it, it's it's ironic reading that from Peter King, who writes every single year about how the schedule is put together. He spends three thousand words going over that. It, it used to be interesting. It's like we we get it now, but there, there comes a point where if there was an issue from the Steelers, I'm sure something would have changed. And in that too, I'm sure that the league office would have communicated with them. What you know? Here's what we're doing. Just so you know, heads up, we're going to put you on the road again. Uh, four of those games are in prime time. Unfortunately, two of them uh, were were the the banner raising ceremonies in New England. Right. Um, that that's not fun. You never want to play in that game. Adorable. And the Steelers were were you know pretty pretty uh, frequent parties to to the celebration out there and got whipped in both of those games. But if you're getting a primetime game on the road, that's never a great thing. But in this case, uh, the Steelers have a, a brutal schedule. We've known that for a long time. Um, Buffalo isn't a team that they want on their schedule at all. <laughs> they right. have to play them. Yeah. Sure, it may as well be week one. You know that it's on the road anyway. Uh, that's a tough game, but I would say this. I would almost take um, – I, I, I would definitely – if it has to be on the road, I would definitely take a 1 p.m. kick over a primetime kick. So – um, at least they have that going for them because I can't imagine Buffalo Pittsburgh at Buffalo was not considered uh, pretty highly for a, a, a week one game uh, in prime time. If they have two Monday night games, I wouldn't have been surprised if that was one of them. Incomparable. I, it, the word's out. You got to spread it far and wide. There are people within this house that don't agree with you. <laughs> That's okay. I'll show up to dinner one night. I'll convince them. Hey, Neil. <laughs> Let's do it. Anytime. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you.
When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great new inventory, the best. Fabulous selection of pre-owned inventory, which, by the way, comes with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. That means everything. From sales to service, they're the best in the business. And we love dealing with the best in the business. That is Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Well, thanks to Jay Wright, who joined us in the... uh, 3.30 3.30 half hour. Check it out on the Steve Jones Show podcast. Or thanks to Neil Kulong in the previous half hour. Uh, now we'll be taking, uh, in the final uh, 21 and a half minutes, we'll be taking all your calls on the Indy 500. Give us a call. <laughs> I wanted to finish big. It's been that kind of show. Let's finish big. Once again... Your Indy 500 calls now. Hello? (laughs) Anybody out there? (laughs) I hate this show. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Hey, you have to love the fact that we have some fun here, don't we? So they're tonight on Facebook Live, I believe it's Facebook Live, we're doing the same thing we did a year ago where each one of us gets a position coach. I will be paired up with Ty Howell tonight, the tight ends coach. That's a pretty good group to be tied up with right now because they are, those three people, young people, Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, you want to talk about a world of potential. It's amazing how you can have one of the true greats at tight end. Penn State's had a long lineage of outstanding tight ends. For, you know, I mean, now the old days at end, like Jesse Arnell was played end. Right? But when you talk about the traditional modern tight end, Ted Qualick is the one that 
set the tone for everybody as to what a Penn State tight end can be. And you see the lineage through the years of fabulous tight ends that have come through here. And Pat Fryermuth being the latest, who did nothing but enhance the position here at Penn State and ended up being the second-round pick of the Steelers, who joined us on the show a couple of weeks ago. And now you look at this group. Yes, Young, uh, the only one that didn't show flashes last year was Tyler Warren, which I, you know, I didn't expect him to because I know that for him he's making a, a, a position transition. But Brenton Strange showed, especially after Pat got hurt, so you get to that latter part of the season, Brenton Strange showed me something. Theo Johnson showed me something. Then, of course, being in practice, I can see why Tyler Bowen, now Ty Howell, are both so high on Tyler Warren. Really good athlete, good route runner, versatility. They've got three guys there that can make a big difference. And so I'll be talking with, for those who are going to be on the Facebook Live calls tonight, whatever it may be, uh, I get Ty Howell this evening, as a matter of fact. So we'll talk with him in his first full year as an assistant coach, although he's been on the staff uh, before as an analyst. Uh, let's see. Tokyo Olympics, some people, some doctors saying forget it. Um, I looked at the comments section. The suit used 18 different names to comment. Does he worry you? Worries me. Just a little bit. Oh, my uh, almighty! Yeah, exactly. How about the story, of, and we mentioned this earlier, about Stanford reversing course and not eliminating 11 sports. That includes wrestling, by the way. So Shane Griffith goes out wins the national championship. When Stanford wrestled in St. Louis, they just wore... Black shirts. Nothing about Stanford. Anything. And Griffith won the national championship. And, of course, made an impassioned plea to keep the program. Well, now it looks like they're going to keep the program. How about that? That is something that I think a lot of people did not expect. But there have been... Mid-course corrections here. Made at several schools. When it comes to eliminating sports. And I thought after the budget crisis that everyone was hit with in the pandemic that these were going to be irreversible. Roughly 240 athletes at Stanford participate in men's and women's fencing, field hockey, lightweight rowing, men's rowing, co-ed and women's sailing, squash, synchronized swimming, men's volleyball, and wrestling. They were said to be impacted by the decision. Leadership from 36 uh, Sports Strong applauded the university's leadership with working with a group to find a better way forward for the athletic department. And... The new optimism is based on 
new circumstances, including vigorous and broad-based philanthropic interest in Stanford athletics on the part of alumni, which convinced us that raising the increased funds necessary to support all 36 of our varsity teams is the approach that can succeed, said the Stanford president. In the original announcement last July, university leaders said it was just not sustainable to continue with 36 athletic programs. The school called the decision a last resort. 36 Sports Strong debunked that. They determined the cuts would save Stanford roughly $4.5 million a year, which equates to about 3% of the athletic department budget. 11 sports already combined for $23 million in endowment, and as of early last month, it received about $50 million in pledges to support the sports in the future. That's why I think Iowa dropped like four sports, and they said the, the savings was small. Alumni from the 11 programs have combined earned 27 Olympic medals, and the programs have combined for more than 20 national titles. Stanford wrestler Shane Griffith, as we mentioned, he won the national title in St. Louis in March, wore that black singlet without any identifying marks. Stanford athletes actually had filed a pair of lawsuits last week with the intent of forcing the school to reverse the decision. However, the school said it made its decision to restore the sports before the filings. So wrestling is going to return to Stanford along with 10 other sports. It's great for the sport, great for Stanford, most especially great for those athletes. Dick in Milton. Uh, hello, my friend. Welcome back. It's great to have you with us. Steve, well, I was going to call you when you were... I, I missed this. I missed the comments or the seg- segment with uh, Jay Wright. And and then you, then you just talked this wrestling. Well, my first comment would be, what about the wrestling coach who went to American? Well, he has I mean, the wrestling job. Coach, the wrestling coach left there and, and was hired at, at, I mean, at American. Oh, I know. I, I mean... I mean, but isn't that a little he, bit? You think they could have made this decision and, and talked to him before they before the guy went off off across the country? You know, he was Pac-12 Pac Coach of the Year several times and had all had a national champion, and he, and he leaves. And I don't blame him for leaving. But, no, he had to, but what he happens had to protect, now to him? He had to protect. Want, well, he, he has a job at American. <laughs> well, I understand. I understand that. But why would you give up a young, upcoming coach who who? who Elevated your program, got all those good recruits, and he le- and he left. Now, uh, I mean, it seems really unfair to do that, that to him too. I mean, he wouldn't have gone to American under the if they were going to keep that program. What's interesting is it that just, it just seems stupid to me the way they handle it. Then, are you surprised? <laughs> no, uh, I'm not surprised. I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised that well, for for a school that has a what a twenty eight twenty two billion dollar endowment, I'm not sure. I and I know they can't use that money, but sure. But even said they have some rich alumni out there that could have helped save that program. Well, I'm wondering if who knows what his contract at American says. Yeah, maybe it says maybe it says that if Stanford brings the program back before the start of next season, he can keep his job. I don't know. So it's, well, it's, it just—it just seems unfair to him oh, and the course. wrestlers to have him as a coach and, rec- and be recruited out there. Yeah, and and the wrestlers are—I wonder how many of the wrestlers set, you know, in this free transfer period. Wonder how many left. left and I don't know. I couldn't tell you yeah. that. I just—it's just—it's handled, handled very bad. It's just one sport too. I mean, that's just one of the eleven 
sure kids left under the same circumstances and went somewhere else. I mean, you couldn't have done you this know? 60 days ago? Well, they could have done it almost immediately like, if they really like, had thought about it. Like, pulled them aside in St. Louis, say, hey, guys, don't tell anybody we're keeping the program. All right, but we're not going to make, you know, we think we can pull this off. Right. Nope. And well, now, anyhow, my, my Jay Wright story, and I'll make this really quick, and maybe I told sure. you this before, when Bucknell played uh, played uh, Villanova, and of course Flannery and, and Jay Wright were, were teammates for at least one year. Yep. So they, they were playing on a Saturday night, and it was the first year for Soika. And I had just started that, my retirement job there at Bucknell. So on a, on a Friday night, in comes, in comes a Bucknell coach and Jay Wright, and I saw Jay play most of his ball games at, at Davis with, with another group, I guess, were his coaches. And they went up the stairs to Davis Gym, and they were there for 10 or 15 minutes. They came down and went out the front door, and I said to the coach, aren't they going to the basketball ring? And he goes, he said, he just wanted to show the guys where he played. They'll, they'll see that tomorrow. And I thought that was a kind of a kind of a cute story. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You know, hey, you think, this well, is all, all the awards really? he's won. He's he's been a heck of a heck of a basketball coach. I will say that. I mean, it's a high profile program at Villanova, and he's done a, done a really good job down there. Yeah, he he has, and he's done it with a lot of class. I mean, you never hear anything. I mean, not even whispers about Villanova. That says everything about. Jay as a coach, as a program, and everything that you know, there'll be programs that win, and you sit back and go, and you hear, yeah, not with them, not with them, nothing but class. They played very well, and he's done a he's done a remarkable job down there. He's elevated Villanova to the top, and you know, really to the top of the what I call the Big Five programs down there. And Temple yeah. was there for quite a while, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, for quite a while, and then of course. They're not at that. I don't think they're near that level anymore. And, no, you know, they, no, they, Temple's, they, Temple's fact, falling back. No, Temple's falling back. I mean, John, obviously, John Chaney did a phenomenal job there. Fran Dunphy, I thought, you know, look, he did better than a lot of the Temple fan base thought along the way. When Fran was there, a lot of people I knew at Temple were mad, bad. I said, look, he's not John Chaney, but he's he's better than a lot of other people he could have. Yeah. And now they're yeah. now they're really kind of you know in a tough like balance beam area. Which direction is Temple actually going to go? Well, if you get to be an old guy like me, you remember when the, the when the Big Five in Philadelphia was pretty oh. much part of the powerhouse in the whole country before before basketball and and Major League Baseball and everything expanded to the West Coast like at that level. Well, I mean, there were some, I got, there were some decent schools out there, but not not the, the big the big five back in the fifties and earlier. It was just unbelievable basketball. You know? I go into the Palestra, and essentially the Palestra is a big five shrine hall of fame. Every you know, each school gets a section on the wall. I'm talking in the concourse, right? And, and of course, I always get a big kick out of the media section with that big picture of Dick Girardi sitting there. <laughs> Well, I'm going to let you go. I'd be anxious to see how this shakes out at Stanford, though, now with the coach on the other end of the country and uh, recruiting for American and, uh, you know, and we'll we'll see what happens. I don't Realistically, I'm happy for American because they're, you know, they're in the EIWA with the, with the but, but I'd be just as happy if the guy gets his old job back. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, that's, you know, I, you know, I didn't realize that. That's, I didn't realize he'd taken the job at American. All right. We have to hire a coach. You have to do what? I thought we had one. Well, no, you guys were 
you know, fooling around here, and guess what? <laughs> he left. <laughs> what? He, like, covered his own backside. He took another job. How could he do that? <laughs> you could do that because you didn't have a program. All right. We will take a break. Uh, this, this part isn't, isn't sponsored by Reputation Defender, is it? Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. <laughs> it's actually brought to you by the great people at Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Nothing like a Friday when the red carpet rolls out and the suit walks in, snapping his fingers to this, pointing over to everybody and. Nobody points back. All right, so uh, great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Q, it's 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. Let's get to a uh, related Bucknell football note. The Colgate football coach Dan Hunt is leaving to address personal issues following an unspecified violation of university policy not involving students. The school uh, said this week that the decision was reviewed by the athletic department and had the support of the administration and board of trustees. Hunt's been with the program since 95. He has been the head coach, succeeding Dick Biddle in 2014. Associate uh, head coach Dan Dukoski, a Colgate graduate, and he's been on the football staff since 2007, will be the interim head coach for Colgate during the 2021 season. And Hunt 40 and 33 at Colgate, 27 and 11 in the Patriot League, 3 and 2 in championship subdivision playoff appearances. So, Dan Hunt leaving to address personal issues. And Stan DeCosti is going to be the interim football coach at Colgate. And we told you about Bucknell opening with. NC State yesterday, it's, you know, you guys live there, right? <laughs> Just checking. Our thanks to Neil Kulong today, and our thanks to Jay Wright today. Check it out on the Steve Jones Show podcast. Great to have you with us on the show. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070 WKOK.